Welcome everyone to another episode of the Tearsheet Podcast, where we explore financial services together with an eye on technology, innovation, emerging models, and changing expectations. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. In today's conversation, I chat with Karan Anand, President at Brex. Brex has undergone a remarkable transformation over the last two years, evolving from a fintech startup with a corporate card for startups to a global fintech and enterprise SaaS company in corporate spend. Recently appointed to the new role of president, Karan gives us a window into this journey, shedding light on the challenges and successes that come with building both a fintech and SaaS business concurrently. It was like the firm had two entirely separate companies while they were building out the corporate spend side of the business. We delve into topics ranging from the cultural hurdles faced during the shift, the intricacies of scaling, and the unique challenges and opportunities that arise in the payments and software space. Whether you're deeply embedded in the fintech and SaaS world or simply curious about the evolution of innovative companies, this conversation with Karan is packed with valuable insights. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation and explore the dynamic landscape of financial technology and enterprise software with Karan Anand, president at Brex. Great. So who are you and what do you do? Morning, Zach. I'm uh, Karandeep Anand. Uh, I'm now the president at Brex, been here for about two years now. And uh, earlier I used to be the chief product officer, and now my responsibilities go to both product and business. Well, welcome to the show. And I want to pick up on something you said in your intro of yourself as you are now the president. Can we talk about, is, is that, that sounds like a new role for you. Is that also a new role for the company? It is a new role for the company. Uh, at Brex, we never had this concept of president because the our go-to-market functions were very, very distinct from our product building functions. And I joined more on the product building. And I think this kind of reflects where we have been through our own journey as Brex. Uh, about two years ago, right about the time I joined, we went through a big transformation in the company where Brex used to be a corporate card for startups. And now in the last two years, we've transformed to becoming not just a global fintech, but also an enterprise SaaS company offering expense management, travel and procurement at a global scale. And that transformation uh, was mostly around the, you know, going from a FinTech to a SaaS company trans- and mostly on the product side. And obviously we built a corresponding go-to-market organization to go sell to very large enterprise companies, our, our solution software. And what this, this juncture at we are at now is, is probably a reflection of the fact that we've been building a lot of cool tech for the last 24 months. And now it's really, really important to make sure that we are scaling what we're selling and bringing from a customer lens, the, the product experience, the go-to-market experience and the implementation experience all needs to become a very, very tightly coupled machinery. So that's the reason why I'm spending a lot more time now going from product development to bringing product closer to go-to-market functions. So we are constantly serving customers on a very tight feedback loop. So it sounds like to me, if I can just repeat that back to you, that the company had gotten to a point where the product set was rich enough um, and the delivery of those products and working with customers was complex enough that it needed a president to kind of sit on top of that to orchestrate how those how those different teams work together. Is that right? Much better summary than what I said. No, I, I wasn't trying to do that, but <laughs> I'm trying no, to understand it. I'm trying to understand it. So um, I guess it's interesting where does where does the um at what point does a company make a decision to get a pre- to become to to add a presidency there like where do, at what point does it become sort of something that needs to sit on top as opposed to within within the system 
Indeed. Actually, uh, we spend a lot of time thinking and we're talking to a lot of mentors in other companies which have done similar transformations because usually, including I used to be at Meta and I used to be at Microsoft, the product development functions were very, very separated from the go-to-market functions. At that scale and size, it probably made sense. But even at Meta, Zach, uh, I had the luxury of running new incubation businesses like Workplace and Business Messaging. And these businesses were incubated by bringing the product and go-to-market teams very tightly coupled together. Mm. And so I had some residue from that experience that if you want to scale your go-to-market and do it in a very customer-centric way, it's really helpful to go do this. And then we went out and looked at other industry examples. And Datadog is another great example of a company that did exceptionally well, very rich product, fantastic go-to-market organization. Planet B is another one, which is a very different space. We found a very similar structure where a very tightly coupled product and go-to-market organization usually makes the company very customer centric so that the sales folks are not entirely just selling for the heck of selling, but selling something which is generally creating value for the customer. So as we found enough examples, we feel, felt a lot more comfortable that bringing these two, these two organizations together with somebody on top really helps you know, connect the dots much better than doing the other way, which is embed more business responsibilities on the product side or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And were there cultural um, hurdles or, or um, I guess, traditions that needed to be broken or evolved to, to make this <laughs> successful? Uh, indeed, indeed. Obviously, you know, any new role uh, comes with its own, own, own challenges. I think the biggest one is product organizations are very, very analytical, very numbers driven. Go to market organizations are very intuition driven. And bringing the, that culture together is definitely a hurdle you need to get over. Luckily, given it's like how the jocks and the scientists together, right? You got to get <laughs> yes. them to play together. Yeah, exactly. I think just given how growth mindset based the company values are, everyone's been super open that it took us less than two to three months to make this transition work out versus what I was expecting would be a six month transition. But in three months, both sides of the organization have really responded well, where we have a very, very analytical numbers driven uh, culture permeating through the entire organization. But at the same time, now the empathy is flowing the other way around. My product mm -hmm. team is now very deeply embedded into deals in customer implementations, making sure they're successful. And then that empathy is flowing now from go to market into product. So I think that's been a win-win on both sides. And what about for you personally in, in, in your own career and your own skill set? How how's that evolution been for you, that change? It's been fantastic. I think doing it at this scale and size obviously is the first time because Brex is probably the, the smallest in terms of company size I've ever been at. Uh, last two roles were very large companies, but I think I've been- well, That's uh, about a thousand people there now? We have about a thousand people. Yeah. And I, I was joking with somebody the other day, which is the entire company is a third of my last team size. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's really that's hard to understand that perspective. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think, but but I, I've, been, I've been blessed that I had the opportunity to do a, a GM or president-like function, even at Meta where mm -hmm. I did get to run the go-to-market, sales marketing, and being responsible. So I've had some experience to lean on from my past uh, experience at Facebook and Meta. And what was interesting to me as I think about your career is like you've been in payments for a while, um, but that's within a, obviously a larger organization that isn't, is, it's not payments company, they do payments. What has been different for you in this role at Brax where it's like you're really living and breathing, I would assume you are living and breathing payments. There. Yes. Uh, you know, this is this is almost uh, a, sh a you know shameful thing for me to say. When I used to run payments at Facebook, I almost didn't quite care about the one percent, two percent margin that you make from payments. And you're like, oh, right, don't worry about it. It was an add-on. 
it's yeah. an add-on and and the advertising business is such a healthy margin business that any money you typically make from you know financial transactions is a rounding off error if that and then you come into brex we're leaving living and breathing operating on that interchange revenue which is you know obviously sub three percent your entire dna changes to being you know every little line item in your pnl statement really matters why is the risk x level why is the fraud x level why is the cost of capital so i think it definitely required a lot of learning for myself on optimizing every single line item so i think uh at a, if i was to zoom out it's brought in financial discipline even for me personally to be able to manage the business at a very high level of rigor which a larger company did not quite require. So I don't think even I had that when I was at Amero or even Microsoft with them mm -hmm. operating margins was just so large. So I think it's been an interesting transformation for me where I'm reading PL statements all day long and I'm like, hmm, I could be saving another 10% here. So, so it's a different way to run the business. Now I think you've officially become a finance guy. I know. Um, <laughs> sorry to say that. But um, well, can we talk about the transition for Brex as well and, 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 I guess the, the, the needs of your customers are very different than from what you've experienced in, in, in your career. Indeed. I think the, we started as a, as a fintech company, becoming a global fintech company with the credit card product. But I think the last 24 months, Zach, we've gone through a transformation. We've built a lot of enterprise SaaS. So our success depends not just on giving corporate cards, which you know it's, at the end of it's plastic that works but doesn't work. It's building workflows for better policy management, making sure employees within a company- It feels like a much policy. harder lift. It's a very hard lift. And, uh -huh. and I think, um, and this decision was made by Pedro and Henrique prior to me even joining, they decided to completely build a brand new product from scratch to genuinely build enterprise SaaS correctly versus trying to retrofit, which is a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of companies do. I think that has really paid dividends. The last 24 months, we built an entire product from scratch, deployed it with thousands of customers. So we literally went from first line of code to customers like DoorDash and Coinbase and a whole bunch of them at you know tens of thousands of employee scale, live in production in 130 countries, all happened within 24 months. And and because we, you know, we didn't have any tech tech debt, we had no baggage, being able to do that really, really helped, you know, bridge the gap between here's a fintech company, can you do SaaS? Like, yeah, we can actually do both because we're not saddled with the baggage of any side of the of the business. So that's a great example of hmm. some hard decisions made up front truly paid dividends uh, over long term. So, so we're definitely seeing the, the evolution of the company. Company now has very strong fintech muscles and SaaS muscles. Um, and it's showing up in numbers. So in the last, uh, as we're wrapping up 2023, obviously we're spending a lot of time in reflecting back on what happened. We've, we've grown our software revenue. Uh, even though we launched part in 2022, we, 2023 was a year of scaling. Uh, we have 300% you know, growth in our software revenue. With in a market, you know, you, you're familiar with the market conditions overall. Most yeah. companies are are not growing, and 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 obviously for us, software is a net new line of business. We've now grown to 300% software revenue growth in a year from 20 to 23 because of the the rich part that got built. So I think overall we've seen a high ROI. That's amazing, and um, so it sounds like you're also you you had the the fintech business, the payments business, and you and you built the software from scratch alongside but in a way you were running two separate businesses during the past 24 months as well right so like how, how, what did scaling look like there i know we had Kaz on the on the podcast you know cto uh at the beginning of december 2023 we talked a little bit about the hyperscaling issues that that he dealt with on in in his team i'm, I'm kind of curious from product what, what that looked like for you 
I think from part of similar issues, but uh, and it was less of a growth problem. It is more of how do you run two different DNAs in parallel and then, right. then fuse, fuse them. So, because ultimately, you know, the, the beauty of the business that we have with Brex is the buyer is the same. They're buying the financial product and they're buying the software product. So when the buyer is the same, the end user is the same, it becomes easier to at least think of the customer segments and the product portfolio and the experience and the, how the Brex app should feel like from a unified lens. So I think, and building that back into, okay, yes, technically there are two separate products here. One is risk and fraud and card and credit. And the other one's like, hey, can you approve my expense report, please? Uh, they feel very different on the surface, but underlying it's the same real-time finance that's running through the DNA. So I think on the product, it was more of a DNA transformation than a scale problem. We, we kept a pretty lean product team we were able to rewire the product uh, team to be a lot less insular, which is like, hey, how do you think about internal systems? And a lot more customer focused. I think changing that and making every product team responsible for customer success became the core, core way for us to scale um, how we go through this transformation. And did you bring in the, the new people you brought in? Were you bringing in people from SaaS companies? We were mostly bringing people from SaaS. That's a good point. Uh -huh. Yes. So we brought in a lot of SaaS people. We had amazing experts who are still here on the fintech side, but I think SaaS was a missing DNA that we infused it with. So I want to talk a little bit about your customers. You brought up a really good point um, that, you know, they're, they're, the customers are buying both systems in a sense, but how does the sale work? Is the sale work, is it primarily a software sale and, and, and the FinTech products, the payment products are bundled in there? How, how do your clients think about it? Or is it different? Love it. Love the question. So I think the answer varies by segment and the pain point any given customer has. I'll, give, I'll use two uh, very distinct examples where you know, we're talking to Coinbase and Coinbase like, I don't want a credit card. I actually don't even care about any credit cards because I just want expenses and reimbursements to work. And they're like, hmm, coming from a company like Brax, if you don't buy credit cards, what are you buying? They're like, no, I just want your software workflow. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So we started with Coinbase. Oh, interesting. Uh, the first pilot deployment was without a card. It was purely mm -hmm. a software workflow. And DoorDash was like, of course, I want the full stack. And, you know, Six months. Every customer point. is going to want something different, of course. Exactly, yeah. exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, and you know, six months into deploying, Coinbase is like, okay, I like what I see with the workflow. Can we make this better? I'm like, yes. If you had a credit card for your employees, you would not even need to do reimbursements because everything will be real time. And they're like, mm -hmm. okay, I trust you enough that I'm now going to roll out credit cards as well. So 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 I think in most cases, there's always an entry point for the customer conversation. But oftentimes you see that over a six to nine month period, we land and expand into the full stack. So whether the starting point is a card or software workflow or travel, we're able to enter with depending on the highest pressing need. And luckily the trust we end up building with most of these customers, they end up using us for multiple use cases. So most of our customers that were active last year are expanding into cards, reimbursements, expense management, uh, travel, and now increasingly even procurement. So I think that's the holy grail of the Brex business is we become a, a total finance solution package totally. to manage all kinds of spend in the company. And and who do you find you're winning the customers from? Like what what other like alternative solutions are they using? Yeah, I think the, the biggest incumbents in this space, uh, especially if we move up, up market enterprise where we sell a lot now is the traditional players like Conquer. Mm -hmm. So I think Conquer has very large market share, but 
interestingly for us, they haven't innovated in like you know, 27 years. So it's relatively easy to win market share back from an incumbent, uh, which hasn't been, been able to innovate as much. But at the same time, we do see a bunch of new uh, other challenges. Like every brands. innovator becomes an incumbent at some point, right? Exactly. Like that's sort of the- exactly. So yeah. down market, we do see a whole bunch of other smaller players that we compete with. But up market in the enterprise space, we rarely find anyone except for Conquer. So most of the most of the uh, the biggest deals are against Conquer as a as an example here. But down market, there are a whole bunch of small ones, everything from an expensify to an airbase to a ramp, and mm-hmm. they have all been trying to innovate. But luckily, um, we had made a decision to go you know enterprise lots sooner, so we ended up building a product from scratch, as I mentioned earlier, and that has helped us win in the enterprise space way faster than than other ones. So SeedGeek, Indeed, very, very large companies are able to deploy us at global scale. And that's been our biggest advantage. Awesome. And I'm, I'm curious, I wanna go back to um, what you were talking about in terms of 2023 review. Uh, when you look at yourself um, in this new role, how, how do you think you did in 2023 personally? And pro- I mean, professionally. Yeah, personally. no, great question. I think, I, I think we, um, and this is definitely also a performance cycle time of the year, uh, and, and I need to have this more formal conversation with my own boss. Uh, I think we did exceptionally well on two fronts, and I think I wouldn't say we did really well on the third one. So the two ones where we did really well was we overall our revenue grew 50% year, year on year, which in this market, especially you know how badly other fintechs have been hit, I've been pretty impressed with the fact that now we have a portfolio of multiple solutions software contributing to 300% growth, you know, adding about two and a half times more uh, users, mm-hmm. those things went really, really well. So I think we saw growth by from the new investments that we made. Similarly, the second thing we did really well was uh, we started as a card company serving startups, and we did not let go of our roots. So we've done an exceptionally good job of serving startups. And in fact, I was worried that we would probably lose market share because we'll be doing a lot of enterprise. But we've been very, very good about not, you know, doing even better for a startup. So we went from 25% market share in the US of startups using it and it grew that by another 20%. So we have 30% market share in the US. So one in three startups in the US is on Brex. And being able to do both startup, really, really small, highly demanding customer base, and enterprise very, it's, very large. It's wild, yeah. Wild. And in my wildest dreams, I didn't think that we could have kept both of them alive really well. So I think those places we did exceptionally well. I think the part which I don't think um, I personally did as well and, and, and as a business we need to work on uh, a lot better is the, you know, pre- back to previous conversations, when you're replacing a tool like Conquer, there's a high change management cost that customers are expecting. So we've, you know, we have a lot of customers which are, we've sold to and they're deploying, but they're not deploying it fast enough. So if it's to one pick, pick one area where I think mm. we could have done a lot better and we need to do a lot better is significantly reducing the implementation time and the change management cost for our customers. So for them, it feels like an automated seamless transition. Like I have- Does that uh, require more services? More services, more in the product, a ton of AI can help with this. And I think uh, our Northstar uh, is a company actually based out of Israel, which I really look up to, uh, Viz on the security side, they've made uh, deployment almost like a no-brainer. Because you know they've done a lot of the lift in the product as well, so I think that's an example of an area. If you can crush that and make the change management cost a lot lower, these numbers that I was sharing, which I thought were impressive, would could could be even better. Interesting, and I appreciate your your um, your honesty there. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of you know our listeners, our readers at Tearsheet are are heads of product at at incumbents, and you know when I, when I talk to you and I talk to Kaz, like it's clear, like you know this the Brex is a company that you know went through hyper growth, came out of nowhere. As you mentioned, the story is even more complicated. You launched a second product line while you were doing that, um, and two entirely different sets of customers that within two entirely different sets of needs. Like, what can a, what can a bank you know who learn from you guys like is there even any crossover or is it just like banks do what banks do and and everything else you know that's the technologist's role i so i personally it's a great question i think you know when you look at incumbents i i worked at very large companies prior to this you know microsoft and and, and half times we were incumbents ourselves and half times half times we were challengers mm-hmm. and i think there's there's two uh and i got a chance to overlap with satya the last few years was there and i think something i learned from him which is I think the biggest transformation that Satya made at Microsoft was he helped us all realize that Windows was the best thing that ever happened to computing, but it's done. I mean, that that cycle is gone and we need to find the next Windows and the next office. And that's the reason why we work in cloud and Azure became successful because the DNA accepted that what was once innovation is now plateaued and you need to find the next innovation. So I think the biggest call out for anyone who's listening to this as an incumbent is it's time to stop resting on the laurels and assume that just because you have the share and you have the customer relationship, you keep doing it. That hunger and the growth mindset is the number one thing because at least makes you wake up and saying, how can I get disrupted and how will I disrupt myself? And obviously it goes back to the classic innovators dilemma, but I think that book put in real examples is assume their biggest cash cow is gone. And Make that assumption if you're not making investments, at least up to 15 to 20% of your portfolio into new incubations, there's a very high chance that you will get disrupted. So my biggest, biggest call out will be uh, assume that your biggest, best cash cows, your biggest thing that makes you successful is gone. Start with the exercise. What will you go build next? And start doing that now versus waiting for that to happen. Right. I feel like the bankers I know and the people that we, we speak to here, I don't think they've said it so Again, it's assumptions, but it's a bleak assumption, but it, it what it does is light a fire underneath you. And that and that has to uh, embed itself in the fabric, the core fabric of a culture in a company, right? Like it's not something, and that's one of the issues banks have, like they have innovation groups where innovation is done like over there in the side. Yes. Yeah, yes. like where, where, where you guys are just, everything you do is innovation. Exactly. And that's why I was, I would definitely recommend reading Satya's book, uh, Hit Reset. I think he touches on that in a very material, very deep level. So I think that's a great example obviously, you know, getting to work with Mark and other leaders at Meta, that was in the DNA from day one. Every every day was like, hey, and obviously Amazon has that, but being able to bring that into more banks and other companies, uh, including like, you know, I have deep respect for SAP and Kanker who compete with, I know they can they can be a lot more innovative if they just mm-hmm. generally accept the fact that it's time to, time to reinvent themselves. That's awesome. And, and you know, honestly, when you speak to Jamie Dimon, who I hope one day to have on this podcast at JP Morgan, I mean, he talks like a scrappy innovator, you know, like, and he, he always talks about needing to win and, and being behind in certain things or not the best. And he, of all the banking CEOs that I've seen, at least I, JP Morgan comes the closest to sort of, at least publicly imbuing that. Indeed. I think it gets lost in the next layers of transition. Yeah. I've almost always found CEOs and founders to be a lot more hungry, a lot more growth mindset. It's just the organizational DNA of a larger company that just slows down from that getting percolated. So I think the question is, 
how do we repeat the, the, what Jamie has to his level, his direct, his direct and, and, and recursively. So it's more of a cultural problem than it's a technology problem. Right. I, I was reading about some of the transitions City is going through, and it sounds they're, they're doing some layoffs and, and some recalibrating structures. And it looked they were removing, in some cases, six layers of management. And I was like, six layers? That's wild. It's scary, but it's needed because otherwise yeah. you get disrupted anyway. So, so as part of 2023 review, I'm sure you, you, you're doing 2024 um, go-to-market planning and stuff like that. I'm curious, in the remaining time that we have in our conversation, what, what, do, you, what do you focus on this year? What, do you, what, what are your biggest priorities? Yeah, I think uh, we, we, we've, we've adopted this process of setting the customer goals as the first set of goals for our OKR planning process last year. And I think we did really well based on that. And we're starting the same thing again. So I'll give you one very tactical example of what this translates to. You know, we normally used to say, I want to grow the revenue by X, I want Y number of users. And like, you know, that's that's very Brexit. That's very you, right. If we were successful and, and with our customers, what value will the customer be able to go share with mm -hmm. their leadership team at the end of next year? So we started setting the goals and saying, hey, we want on average X hundred hours per sale per customer. We want, you know, 99% of their transactions to get automatically improved. We want AI to do 95% of tasks versus 80 today. So we set some of those very clear customer value goals as the North Stars. And you're saying, if, we, if this is true, our product investments are very clear, but also this also helps us identify the kind of customers we want to go after who want that and are willing to, you know, in co-innovate or co-partner with us to go make that happen. So I think that's the cycle we are in, which is we're defining what is mm -hmm. Brex, why is Brex uniquely creating customer value that nobody else can. And I think that's where, one of, where we are starting the planning cycle with, where, you know, we made a lot of investments in AI as an example, and today about 80% 80, 80 of tasks are taken care of by, by, hum, uh, by machines. Can we bring it Internally. to 95%? In, uh, for all our customers, okay, like machines, like 80, 85% of transactions are automatically held by machine. We want to bring that to 95%. That's a very tall order. Uh, but we really want to push and say, hey, things which were just impossible and could not even be imaginable. Luckily, thanks to LLMs and, and, and you know, some pretty serious AI tech that's been out there, it's possible. It's hard, but it's possible. But that so last 10% is harder than the, the original, right? Significantly, yeah. significantly, because the accuracy assumption, especially by finance teams, is far higher. So getting to that extra 5% every time becomes you know, way harder. So these are the kind of investments that are getting informed on the product side. On the go-to-market side, very similar, where in addition to, you know, we're going to add a lot more customers, it's the point we talked about earlier, which is I want to reduce the time to deploy and change management cost. So now we're setting goals and saying, hey, a new customer has to be able to go live within 30 days. And we're working backwards from that and what it means in terms of product or tooling, what we need in terms of services and support. So those are the kind of uh, goals we're setting for the team to be able to then back into what our revenue goals will be, what our go-to-market plans will be. But it's completely, in both cases, deeply, deeply rooted in customer value. And that's what served up well in 2023, and I'm hoping it'll serve us well in 2024 as well. That's awesome. And uh, I'd be remiss not to, to ask that same question to you personally as a, as a leader in this new role. What are you setting as some of your high watermarks for this year? I think for me, th this year, um, I was hoping we would have exited 23 with clarity on how the economy will be in 24. And unfortunately, we're not. Uh, 24 is still going to be a pretty uh, iffy year. And so, so I think having high efficiency 
with you know the people we have and still being able to 3x and 4x the business is my my high order of it which is how do we grow the business while remaining efficient because the, the thing that slows companies down is because you want growth you grow so much that you cannot run fast anymore so balancing efficiency with growth is my high order of it Karin, it's been fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you for two more hours, but uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast. Thanks for having me, Zach.